Chapter 3 Wood and Word Colt was leaping idly, <laughs> idly through a book, trying to ignore the silence of the empty inn when the door opened and Graham backed into the room. Just got done with it, Graham maneuvered through the maze of tables with exager exaggerated care. I was going to bring it in last night, but then I thought, one last coal of oil, rub it and let it dry. Can't say I'm sorry I did. Lord and lady, it's beautiful as anything these days, uh, as anything these hands have ever made. A small line formed between the innkeeper's eyebrows. Then, seeing the flat bundle in the man's arms, he brightened. Ah, the mountain board, mounting board. Colt smiled tiredly. I'm sorry, Graham, it's been so long. I'd almost forgotten. Graham gave him a bit of a strange look. Four months ain't long for wood all the way from Aryan. Not with the roads being as bad as they are. Four months, Colt echoed. He saw Graham watching him and hurried to add. That can be a lifetime if you're waiting for something. He tried to smile reassuringly, but it came out sickly. <laughs> yeah, let's go Colt. <laughs> In fact, Colt himself seemed rather sickly. Aw. Not exactly unhealthy, but hollow. When, like a plant that's been mo m moved into the wrong sort of soil and, lacking something vital, has begun to wilt. Graham noticed the difference. The innkeeper's gestures weren't as extravagant. His voice wasn't as deep. Even his eyes weren't as bright as they had been a month ago. Their colors seemed duller. They were less sea foam, less green grass than they had been. Now they were like river weed, like the bottom of a green glass bottle. And his hands had been bright before, uh, the color of flame. No, hair, thick hand. Uh, <laughs> now it seemed red, just red hair color, really. Coat drew back the cloth and looked underneath. The wood was a dark charcoal, charcoal, charcoal color with a black grain, heavy as a sheet of iron. Three dark pegs were set up above a word chiseled into the wood. Foley, Graham read. Odd name for a sword. Colton nodded, his name carefully blank. How much do I owe you? He asked quietly. Graham thought for a moment. After what you've given me to cover the cost of the wood? There was a cunning glimmer in the man's eye. Around one and three. Colt handed him over two talents. Keep the rest. It's, a, it's difficult wood to work with. That it is, Graham said with some satisfaction. Like stone under the saw. Try a chisel, like iron. Then, after all the shouting was done, I couldn't char it. Uh, I noticed that, Colt said with a flicker of curiosity. <laughs> ah, the shame. Running a finger along it with the darker growth. Ah, along the darker growth the letters made in the wood. How did you manage it? Well, Graham said smugly. After washing half a day, I took it over to the smithy. Me and the boy managed to sear it with the hot iron. It took us better than two hours to get it back. Not a wisp of smoke, but it made a sting like old leather and clubber. Uh, damn it, this thing. What sort of wood don't burn? Graham waited a minute, but the innkeeper gave no signs of having heard. Where would you like me to hang it then? Okay, thought well about Clara, so I need to take a nail, can't you? Okay, we back. We back, Holmes. Okay. Uh, Colt roused himself enough to look around the room. Uh, you can leave that to me, I think. I haven't quite decided where to put it. Graham left a handful of iron nails and bid the innkeeper good day. Colt remained at the bar, 
idly running his hands over the wood and the word before well, God, I can read like <laughs> before too long Bass came out the kitchen and looked over his teacher's shoulder. There was a long moment of silence, like a tribute given to the dead. Eventually, Bass spoke up. May I ask a question, Rushy? Cold smiled gently. Always Bass. A troublesome question. Those tend to be the only worthwhile kind. They remained staring at the object on the bar for another silent moment, as if trying to commit to it to memory. Folly. Baz struggled for a moment, opening his mouth, then closing it with a frustrated look, then repeating the process. Out with it, Coat said finally. What are you thinking? Baz said with an odd, odd mixture of confusion and concern. Coat was a long while in answering. I tend to think too much, Baz. My greatest success came from decisions I made when I stopped thinking and simply did what felt like right. Even if there was no good explanation for what I did, he smiled wistfully. Even if there was a very good reason for me not to do what I did. Bass ran a hand along the side of his face. So you're trying to avoid second guessing yourself. Code hesitated. You could say that, he admitted. I could say that, Rashi, Bass said smugly. You, on the other hand, would complicate things needlessly. Code shrugged and turned his eyes back to the mounting board. Nothing to do but to find a place for it, I suppose. Out here? Bass' expression was horrified. Code grinned wickedly, a measure of vitality coming back into his face. Of course, he said, seeming to savor Bass' reaction. He looked speculatively at the walls and pursed his lips. Where did you put it anyway? In my room, Bass admitted, under my bed. Code nodded distractedly, still looking at the walls. Go get it then. He made a small shooing gesture with one hand, and Bass turned it off looking unhappy. The bar was decorated with glittering bottles, and Colt was standing on the now vacant counter between the two heavy oak barrels when Bass came back into the room, black scabbards swinging loosely from one hand. Colt paused in the act of setting the mounting board atop one of the barrels and cried out in dismay. Careful, Bast! You're carrying a lady there, not swinging some wench at a barn dance. <laughs> oh, Colt is just getting it! <laughs> Bass stopped in his tracks and dutifully gathered it in both hands before walking the rest of the way to the bar. Coat pounded a pair of nails into the wall, twisted some wire, and hung the mounting board firmly on the wall. Hand it up, would you? He asked with an odd catch in his voice. Using both hands, Bass held it up to him, looking for a moment like a squire offering up a sword to some bright armored knight. But there was no knight there. Just an innkeeper, just a man in an apron who called himself Coat. He took the sword from Bast and stood upright on the counter behind the bar. He drew the sword behind the floor without a flourish. It shone a dull grey white in the room's autumn light. It had the appearance of a new sword. It was not notched or rusted. There was no bright scratches skittering along its dull grey side. But though it was unmarred, it was old. And while it was obviously a sword, it was not a familiar shape. At least no one in this town would have found it familiar. It looked, like, looked as if an alchemist had distilled a dozen swords, and when the crucible had cooled, this was lying in the, in the bottom, a sword in its pure form. It was slender and graceful. It was deadly as a sharp stone beneath swift water. Coat held it a moment. His hand did not shake. Then he set the sword on the mounting board. Its grey-white metal shone against the dark rope behind it. 
While the hunter would be seen, it was dark enough to be almost indistinguishable from the woods. The world beneath it, black against blackness, seemed to reproach. Folly. Okay, small out door. That is hundred fucking tiu percent till code slash fast fanfic or that game. Ég bara segja það er 100% til, ég bara, ég finna í beinanum mínum. Anyways. Code climbed down and for a moment he and Bas stood side by side, silently looking up. Bas broke the silence. It is rather striking, he said, as if he regretted the truth. But he trailed off, trying to find appropriate words. He shuddered. Code clapped him on the back, oddly cheerful. Don't bother being disturbed on my account. He seemed more lively now, as if his activity lent him energy. I like it, he said with a certain conviction, and hung the black scabbard for one of the mounting board's packs. Uh, then there were things to be done. Bottles to be polished and put back in place. Lunch to be made. Lunch clutter to be cleaned. Things were cheerful for a while in a pleasant, bustling way. The two talked of small matters as they worked. And while they moved around a great deal, it was obvious they were reluctant to finish whatever tasks they were close to completing as if they both dreaded the moment when the work would end and the silence would fill the room again. Then something odd happened. The door opened and noise poured into the waystone like a gentle wave. People bustled in, talking and dropping bundles of belongings. They chose tables and threw their coats over the backs of chairs. One man, wearing a shirt of heavy metal rings, unbuckled a sword, of, uh, sword and le uh, leaned it against the wall. Two or three wore knives in their belts, four or five called for drinks. Okay, you held it to see passed watch for a moment, then moved smoothly into action. Code smiled and began pouring drinks. Bass started outside to see if there were horses that needed stabling. In ten minutes, the inn was a different place. Coins rang on the bar. Cheese and food were set on platters, and a large copper pot was and a large copper pot was hung to simmer in the kitchen. Men moved the tables and chairs about to better suit their group of nearly a dozen people. Code identified them as they came in. Two men and two women, wagoners. Rough from years of being outside and smiling to be spending a night out of the wind. Three guards with hard eyes, smelling of iron, a tinker with a pot belly and a ready smile showing his few remaining teeth. Two young men, one sandy-haired, one dark, well-dressed and well-spoken, travelers sensible enough to hook up with a larger group for protection on the road. The settling in period lasted an hour or two. Prices of rooms were dickered <laughs> over. Friendly arguments started about who slept with whom. Minor necessities were bought in from wagons or saddlebags. Baths were requested and water, water heated. Hay was taken to the horses and coat topped off the oil in the lamps. The tinker hurried outside to make use of the remaining daylight. He walked his two-wheel mule cart through the town street. Children crowded around, begging for candy and stories and shims. When it became apparent that nothing was going to be handed out, most of them lost interest. They formed a circle with a boy in the middle and started to clap, keeping the bee with a children's song that had been ages old when their grandparents had chanted it. When the hard fire turns to blue, what to do, what to do, run outside, run and hide. Laughing, the boy in the middle tried to break out of the circle while the other children pushed him back. Tinker, the old man's voice rang out like a bell. Popmender, knife grinder, willow wand, water finder, Cratkirk, motor, motherler, leaf, mother leaf, silk scarves of the city streets, wedding paper, sweetmeats. Okay, pick your fighter. You get fucking potmender. Okay, but together the knife grinder. 
Okay, like this drew the attention of the children. They flocked back to him, making a small parade as he walked down the street, singing, "Belt leather, black pepper, fine lace, and bright feather. Tinker in town tonight, gone tomorrow. Working through the evening light. Come, wife. Come, daughter. I have small cloth and rose water." After a couple of minutes, he settled outside of the waystone, set up his sharpening wheel, and began to grind the knife. As the adults began to gather round the old man, the children returned to the game. A girl in the center of the circle put one hand over her eyes and tried to catch the other children as they ran away, clapping and chanting. When his eyes were black as crow, where'd he go, where'd he go? Near and far, here they are. The tinker dealt with everyone in turn, sometimes two or three at a time. He traded sharp knives for dull ones and a small coin. He sold shares and needles, copper pots and small bottles that wives had had clicked quickly out to buy in. And um, he traded butters and bags of cinnamon and salt, limes from Tinu, chocolate from Tarpian, polished torn from Ogrimber, Airue, Airue. Nay, okay. All the while the children continued to sing. See a man without a face, move like ghosts from place to place. What their plan? What's their plan? Chandrian, Chandrian. They come in line, man. Are you being confused? Okay, but they. Okay, I held. Ah, I had a check of Elmsna Quest. Okay, held them over and after other pause. Okay, let's now just hold me on them. Yeah, that's all going well. I have found. Are you happy to be with me? Ég misti bókumerki en ég eiginlega ætti, landi samt akkurat það sem ég var. Ok, ég þarf að fleiri pásir eiginlega núna en ég bara hefur meira að segja. Ok, Code guessed the travelers had been together a month or so, long enough to become comfortable with each other, but not long enough to be squabbling over small things. They smelled of road dust and horses. He breathed it in like perfume. Best of all was the noise. Leather creaking, men laughing. The fire cracked and spat, the woman furted. Someone even knocked over a chair. For the first time in a long while, there was no silence in the Waystone Inn. Or if there rather was, it was too faint to be noticed, or too well hidden. Coke was in the middle of it all, always moving, like a man tending a large, complex machine, ready with a drink just as a person called for it. He talked and listened in the right amounts. He laughed, joked, shook hands, smiled and wished coins of the bar as if he truly needed the money. Then, when the time for songs came, and everyone had sung their favorites and still wanted more, Colt let, uh, let them from behind the bar, clapping to keep a beat. With the fire shining in his ear, he sang Tinker Tanner with more voices than anyone had heard before, and no one minded in the least. Hours later, the common room had a warm, jo- jovial feel to it. Coat was kneeling on the hearth, um, building up the fire when someone spoke behind him. Quote. The innkeeper turned, wearing a slightly confused smile. <laughs> Sir? It was one of the well-dressed travelers. He swayed a little. You're cool. <laughs> okay, did I get a minute? Culture. 
Coach replied in an indulgent tone that mother use on children and innkeepers use on drunks. Quoth the bloodless. <laughs> the man pressed ahead with a dodge persistence of the inbriated. You look familiar, but I couldn't finger on it. He smiled proudly and tapped a finger to his nose. Then I heard you sing, and I knew it was you. I heard you and Emery once cried my eyes out afterwards. I never ever... <laughs> you can't... This is a good show, Fintin. Uh, I never heard anything like that before or since. Broke my heart. The young man's synthesis grew jumbled as he continued, but his face remained earnest. I knew it couldn't be you, but I thought it was, even though... But who else has your hair? shook his head, trying unsuccessfully, unsuccessfully to clear it. I saw the place in Imre where you killed him. By the fountain. Oh. The cobblestones were all shattered. He frowned and concentrated on the word shattered. They say no one can mend them. The sandy-haired man paused again, squinting for focus. He seemed surprised by the innkeeper's reaction. The red-haired man was grinning. Are you saying I look like Quoth? The Quoth? I've always thought so myself. I have an engraving of him in my back. My assistant teases me for it. Did you tell him what you just told me? Quote threw a final log onto the fire and stood. Okay, I'm sneered. I'm sneered. It's like quote. But as he stepped, the ears harshly kicked up. One of his legs twisted underneath him, and he fell heavily to the floor, knocking over a chair. Several of the travelers hurried over, but the innkeeper was already on his feet, waving people back to the seat. No, no, I'm fine. Sorry to startle anyone. In spite of the grin, it was obvious he'd hurt himself. Fucking Lude. His face was tight with pain and he leaned heavily on the chair for support. Took an arrow in the knee on my way through the old three summers ago. Three summers ago. It gives out every now and then, he grimaced and said wistfully. It's what made me give up the good life on the road. He reached down to touch his oddly bent leg tenderly. One of the mercenaries spoke up. I'd put a pol- I'd put- a poultice on that, or it'll swell terrible. Coach touched it again and nodded. I think you are wise, sir. He turned to the sandy-haired man who stood up, who stood swaying slightly by the fireplace. Could you do me a favor, son? The man nodded dumbly. Just close the flue. Coach gestured through the, towards the fireplace. Bast, will you help me upstairs? Bast hurried over and drew Coach's arm around his shoulders. Coach leaned, uh, leaned on him with every other step as they made their way through the doorway up the stairs. Yep, I definitely know that has a senior e gay fan ticket. Arrow in the leg? Bast, bast, bast asked under his breath. Are we really that embarrassed from taking a little fall? Thank God you're as gullible as you thought they are. <laughs> Coach said sharply as soon as they were out of sight. He began to curse under his breath as he climbed a few more steps. His new knee obviously uninjured. Bast's eye widened, then narrowed. Coach stopped at the top of the steps and rubbed his eyes. One of them knows who I am, Coach frowned. Suspects. Which one? Bast asked with a mix of apprehension and anger. Green shirt, sandy hair. The one nearest to me by the fireplace. Gave him something to make him sleep. He's already been drinking. No one will think twice if he happens to pass out. Bast thought briefly. Nightmane? Menka. Bast raised an eyebrow but nodded. Coach straightened. Listen three times, Bast. Bast blinked once and nodded. Coach broke spoke crisply and cleanly. I was a city licensed escort from Raylan, wounded while su successfully defending a caravan. Arwen right knee, three years ago, summer. A grateful, oh, Mr. Bogina. A grateful seal dish merchant gave me money to start an inn. His name is Deolan. We were traveling from Paris. Come on, so Paris, for mention, mention, not like the other girls. 
Uh, okay, Mr. Isn't Perry. Isn't Perry. Okay, there you go. Mention it casually. Do you have it? I hear you three times, Rashi. Bass replied formally. Go. Half an hour later, Bass brought a bolt to his master's room, reassuring him that everything was well downstairs. Code nodded and gave Ter's instructions uh, that he not be dis disturbed for the rest of the night. Closing the door behind himself, Bass's expression was worried. He stood at the top of the stair for some time, trying to think of something he could do. It is hard to say what troubled Bass so much. Code didn't seem noticeably changed in any way, except perhaps that he moved a little slower, and whatever small spark the night's activity had lit behind his eyes was dimmer now. In fact, it could hardly be seen. Uh, in fact, it may not have been there at all. Code sat in front of the fire and ate his meal mechanically, as if he were simply finding a place inside himself to keep the food. After the last bite, he sat staring into nothing, not remembering what he had eaten or what it tasted like. The fire snapped, making him blink and look around the room. He looked down at his hands, one curled inside the other, resting in his lap. After a moment, he lifted and spread them, as if warming them by the fire. They were graceful, with long, delicate fingers. He watched them intently, as if expecting them to do something on their own. Then he lowered them to his lap, one hand lightly cupping the other, and returned to watching the fire. Expressionless, motionless, he sat until there was nothing left but grey ash and dully glowing coals. As he was undressing for bed, the fire flared. The red light traced faint lines across his body, across his black and arm, across his back and arms. All the scars were smooth and silver, streaking him like light, streaking him like lightning, like lines of gentle remembering. The flare of flame uh, revealed from all briefly old wounds anew. All the scars were smooth and silver, except one. The fire flickered and died. Sleep met him like a lover in an empty bed. Ah, it's a bust. I come at him. Okay. Yeah, hundred percent. After taking that over, get a mere mega joke with me with that. Then I, I meant to say I thought it was sacked, and I meant I meant to say that. Sorry, not sorry. Oh my God, that's a boy. Get you like a personal. Take a favorite team as we have probably as fanfiction happy to be Okay. <laughs> yes, okay. Yetila. Um to forget to say that. Anyways, uh, the travelers left early the next morning. Bass tended to their needs, explaining his master's knee was swollen quite badly and he didn't feel up to taking the stairs so early in the day. Everyone understood except for the sandy haired merchant son, who was too groggy to understand much of anything. Oh, the girls exchanged uh, smiles and rolled their eyes while the tink tinker gave an impromptu sermon on the subject of temperance. Bass recommended several unpleasant hangover cures. After they left, Bass tended to the inn, which was no great chore as there was no customers. Most of this time was spent trying to find ways to amuse himself. <laughs> uh, sometime after noon, Code came down, to the came down the stairs to find him crushing walnuts in the bar with a heavy leather bound book. Good morning, Rushy. Good morning, Bast, Code said. Any news? The Orison boy stopped by, wanted to know if he needed any mutton. Code nodded, almost as if he had been suspecting the news. How much did you order? Bast made a face. I hate mutton, Rushy. It tastes like wet mittens. Code shrugged and made his way to the door. I've got some errands to run. Keep an eye on things, will ya? I always do. Outside the wasted inn, the air lay still and heavy on the empty dirt road that ran through the center of town. The sky was a featureless gray sheet of cloud that looked as if it wanted to rain but couldn't quite work up the energy. Code walked across the street to the open front of the smithy. 
The smith wore his hair cropped short and his beard thick and bushy. As Colt watched, he carefully drove a pair of nails through a blade's collar, fixing it firmly onto a carved wooden handle. Hello, Caleb. The smith also Caleb is a big fuck why not? Okay. The smith leaned to the skite leaned the skite up against the wall. What can I do for you, Master Coat? Did the Orison boy stop by your place too? Caleb nodded. They still looking sheep? Coat asked. Actually some of the lost ones finally turned up. Torn up awful. Practically sure that wolves? Coat asked. The smith shrugged. It's the wrong time of year, but who else would it would it be? A bear? I guess, I guess they're just selling off what they can't watch over properly, them being short-handed and all. Short-handed? Had to let their hired man go because of taxes, and their oldest son took the king's coin early this summer. He's off fighting the rebels in Menat now. Meneras, Coat corrected gently. If you see, see their boy, boy again, let them know I'd be willing to buy about three halves. I'll do that. The smith gave the innkeeper a knowing look. Is there anything else? Well... Coat looked away, suddenly self-conscious. I was wondering if you have any wrought iron lying around, he said, not meaning Smith's eye. It doesn't have to be anything fancy, mind you. Just plain old pig iron would be nice, do nicely. Caleb chuckled. I didn't know if you were going to stop by at all. Old Cobb and the rest came by the day before yesterday. He walked over to work to the workbench and lifted up a piece of canvas. I made a couple of extras just in case. Coat picked up a rod of iron about two feet long and swung it casually with one hand. Clever man. But the cult through that get very older in this and job that I don't know. And I get it that yes, and I held them to get it to the fuck it in. I know my business, the Smith said smugly. You need anything else? Actually, Colt said as he settled the bar of iron comfortably against the shoulder. There is one other thing. Do you have a spare apron and set of forged gloves? Could have, Caleb said hesitantly, hesitantly. Why? There's an old bramble patch behind the inn. Colt nodded in the direction of the waystone. I'm thinking of tearing it up so I can put in the garden next year. Put it in a put I can put in a garden next year. But I don't fancy losing half my skill in doing it. Smith nodded and gestured for Colt to follow him into the back of the shop. I've got my old set, he said as he dug out a pair of heavy gloves and a stiff leather apron. Both were charred dark in places and stained with grease. Hehe, <laughs> Scott needed it. And that was windery, some windery. <laughs> Uh, they're not pretty able to keep the worst of it off you, I suppose. What are they worth to you? Code asked, reaching for his purse. The smith shook his head. A job would be a great plenty. They're not good to me or the boy. The innkeeper handed over a coin and the smith stuffed them into an old burlap sack. You sure you want to do it? Uh, you sure you want to do it now? The smith asked. Why have we haven't had rain in a while? The ground will be softer after the spring thaw. Code shrugged. My grandma always told me the fall's the time to root up something you don't want coming back to trouble you. Code mimicked the quaver of an old man's word. Things are too full of life in the spring month. In the summer, they are too strong and won't let go. Autumn looked around at the changing leaves in the trees. Autumn's the time. In autumn, everything is tired and ready to die. <gasps> it's a coat! Oh my god. Later that afternoon, Coat sent Bass to catch up on his sleep. Then he moved listlessly around the inn, doing small jobs left over from the night before. There were no customers. When everything finally came, he lit the lights and began to page disinterestedly through a book. Fall was supposed to be the year's busiest time, but travelers were scarce, uh, scarce lately. Colt knew with a bleak certainty how long winter would be. He closed in early, something he had never done before. 
It didn't bother sweeping. The floor didn't need it. It didn't wash the tables or the bar. None had been used. He polished a bottle or two, locked the door and went to bed. There was no one around to notice the difference. No one except Bast, who watched his master and worried and waited. Okay, but the linkers we came in here now, they made it in Okay, linkers, you don't feel like Anyways, you want to have a haste. Yeah, I'm not going to have a haste. 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 I'm not going to have a haste